Greetings and welcome. My name is James White. In this series of studies, we're going to be looking at the subject of scriptural sufficiency. Specifically, why do Christians believe that the scriptures, the Bible, the Old and the New Testament together, are the Word of God, especially in light of objections that many have given to the inspiration of the Bible? Even in this day of modern enlightenment and scientific investigation, Christians still believe that this ancient book, this book that was written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years, is in fact the inspired Word of God. What would cause someone to believe that in a day and age like ours? And how do we respond to criticisms that say that perhaps uh, this Bible is, is not, in fact, inspired, it's not consistent with itself, that maybe the advances of science over time have caused us to no longer have a foundation for believing that God has spoken to us and He has spoken to us with clarity in the Word of God. And so in this study, we're going to be covering a number of very important subjects. We need to look at whether revelation itself is something that is, that is rational, logical, something that a truth-loving person uh, can continue to believe today. We will be looking at the, the whole idea of sufficiency, the idea that the Scriptures can, in and of themselves, communicate to us truth. We'll be looking at the definition of inerrancy, inspiration, and then a very important topic is why are there only 66 books in this Bible? I mean, there are some Bibles that are published that have as many as 74 books in them. Why do we have the books that we have and, and how they come to be chosen to be a part of the Bible? Because while we look at the Bible as a single book, it is actually made up of many smaller books that have come together over a period of time. This is called the study of the canon of Scripture, the rule of Scripture, the listing of the inspired books. Uh, this is a very important area of study. Then we're also going to look at the fact that there are some who would say that what was written long ago by uh, an Apostle Paul or by David or by Moses, that we no longer have access uh, to the original writings, that there has been a either a small amount of corruption or maybe a great amount of corruption so that we no longer know what was originally written by those ancient authors. Is that true? How can we know? How can we have confidence that the Bible we possess today, that we hold in our hands today, accurately reflects what was given by the apostles of Jesus Christ or, in fact, accurately reflects what was written by the Old Testament authors as well? How can we know how can any Christian have confidence in that kind of a context? And so we'll be looking at those issues, and we'll also be looking at some of the, the other books that some people have suggested um, maybe should have been in the Scriptures. Uh, we'll be looking at some of the, the Gnostic Gospels and some of the other Gospels that in modern days people have been presenting as being relevant to the subject of the Bible and, and examining whether they are consistent, examining whether they have any real meaning to be added to the canon of Scripture, things along those lines. And so it is my hope that you as a believer will be greatly encouraged in your faith, but also that as maybe a person who has not really looked into the Christian Scriptures, you've, you've heard about them, but maybe you've been told that they're not reliable, uh, that they're not trustworthy, that you will be encouraged to once again look into the inspired text and consider what the Bible has to say. 
And so with that basic outline in place, I'd like to start by just addressing a, a rather simple issue. And that is, does it really make any sense today in this modern age where, where we have all the, the scientific investigation and we, we know so much more about how the universe functions than ancient men did, does it really make any sense to believe that God has revealed himself, especially in the form of human language, in the form of writing? Does it really make any sense any longer? Uh, hasn't science pretty much removed the need for God and removed the need for revelation from God? Well, I'd like to suggest to you that as we examine ourselves, as we look at how we interact with other people, we are communicating beings. We are beings that want to speak and communicate with other people. I know that a few years ago, uh, I uh, took the took the risk of buying my children cell phones. And if you know anything about young people today, they like their cell phones. And they love to text message one another on their cell phones. And I eventually had to get an unlimited plan for text messaging because my daughter in one month uh, did more than 5,000 text messages. For some reason, people like to communicate with one another and they will use the written word to do so. They will use music to do so. They will use acting to do so. Human beings are communicating beings. In fact, one of the greatest punishments that you can have for a criminal is to put them in isolation where they have no communication. They have no means of contact and communicating with other people. Where did that come from? Where did that, that drive to speak and to share our thoughts and to hear what other people are thinking, where did that come from? I would suggest to a person who is anything but an atheist, who simply rejects the existence of God, that if God exists and if God is our creator, then clearly if we have this desire to communicate, and as the Bible says, if we're created in the image of God, then God himself must have an even greater capacity and ability to communicate than we have ourselves. We, he certainly could not give us a greater ability and a greater capacity that he himself possesses. And so I believe that it is eminently logical if we start with the idea that God has created us and that God is a rational being, that he has the desire to communicate and the ability to communicate with us. Well, how would he do so? Well, certainly someone could say that, well, he can do so through the, the creation itself. And the Bible itself says that God has communicated with clarity through what's called natural revelation, through what has been made. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 discusses the fact that there are certain truths about God's being, specifically the fact that he is the creator and that he controls all things, these things have been communicated through what has been made. When we look out and we see the, the glory of the universe, or even when we look inwardly and we see the tremendous complexity of our bodies, the, the complexity of the DNA molecule and how our bodies work and how our eyes work and our brains work, we see this tremendous design complexity and we know that God exists and we know that we should give him thanks. We know that we should honor him as God. But the natural revelation is limited in the specificity 
of the revelation that it can give to us, the specificity of information that it can give to us. And so we need something more than that, and the Scriptures tell us that God has given that to us in the written Word. Now think about it for just a moment. If God wished to communicate Himself in such a way that His truth could be given to His people and could be possessed by them so that they could keep that truth from generation to generation, it didn't have to keep being re-revealed over and over again to each generation. What would be the mechanism that he would use? Well, I suppose he could, he could use stone tablets and he could have one special mountain and, and he could uh, uh, chisel his word into the side of that one mountain, but then everyone would have to go to that one mountain to find out what God has had to say. And that would be in only one language, and so it wouldn't be really something that could go to all the peoples of the world. But the written form of language would allow God to communicate His truth to man and to pass that truth down from generation to generation. And that's exactly what we have in the Christian Scriptures. Now, He did so over a lengthy period of time, but He did so in such a way that that language could be translated into other languages. It is not simply limited to one culture or one language group, but instead that word can go out to all the peoples because it is God's desire to communicate that way to all people. And so when we think about just the very idea of Scripture, it makes perfect sense to look to the Word of God and say, yes, if God is a communicating being, and he desires to communicate specific truths to his people to give us guidance, to give us understanding about who he is and, in light of that, who we are, then it would make perfect sense that he would give us a form of Scripture. There is nothing illogical in thinking that God would use human language. Now, some people would say, but human language is limited. And even when we do translate from one language into another, there can be difficulties in that translation, and there people can misunderstand. Yes, all of those things are true. But does it follow that because human language is limited, that God cannot reveal himself? Well, logically, that makes no sense at all, because God is the one who created us in the limited form that we have. And he is the one who brought about the existence of human language. And so we know that God can reveal himself in human language with sufficient clarity to hold us accountable to his truth and to give us the guidance and the direction that we need. And so from that perspective, it seems very clear that the very idea of Scripture cannot be attacked as being illogical or irrational. Some might say that because there are many competing scriptures in the world, that God would not reveal himself in that way. But again, that assumes that it's God's purpose that whenever someone writes something else that is opposed to his viewpoints, that somehow God's going to just stop them in their tracks and keep them from writing something like that. God may well have a purpose for allowing the existence of error and untruth in his world so that his people will appreciate the truth in an ever greater way and will be more concerned about studying his truth because there are those that attack it or deny it or have uh, other versions that they might present. 
And so we need to be careful that we do not simply put God in a box and say, well, I just don't think God would act in that way. What is the evidence that God has acted in that way? What is the evidence that God has revealed himself in the form of an inscripturated text? That's one of the things we need to look at. Now, when I discuss the issue of Scripture, and especially when, when dealing with Christian people, uh, I use a, a Latin phrase that, that came from the time of the Reformation. It actually had been used by writers before that. The Reformation was that time of period, a period of time in Europe uh, where a great move of God took place. And, and in the course of that Reformation, one of the emphases was on the sufficiency of the Scripture to reveal God apart from any other revelations in what might be called Scripture or apart from any other sources of authority or tradition. And that phrase, sola scriptura, Scripture alone, needs to be properly understood. We are not saying that it is just you and your Bible out underneath a tree someplace just the two of you, no Holy Spirit, no church, no fellowship. You don't have to have anybody else around you. That's, that's not what we're saying. We're talking about the fact that the nature of Scripture itself gives us a solid foundation for trusting that God has revealed to us everything we need within the pages of the Scriptures themselves. And that's not to say that then you cannot learn from someone else. Uh, certainly, in my own experience, as a young person growing up in the church, I learned from others, even what the Bible itself said. And that's good, and that's godly, and that's proper. Now, then as I became an adult, there became those instances where I needed to examine what I had been taught in light of Scripture. But the first exposure I had came from godly men, godly women who were instructing me as a young person in what the Bible had to say. So to say sola scriptura is not to say that you don't have the elders in the church uh, who teach and preach the word of God. It is not to, denying that, that there are good and godly traditions that we can have that, that are underneath the authority of the word of God, but it is saying that the scriptures themselves are sufficient to reveal to us everything that is necessary for life and for godliness. Let me give you a definition that I, I have used a number of times, even in defending the doctrine of sola scriptura against those who would say it's untrue. Let me give you a definition that's a little more specific, and then I'll try to flesh these things out for you. The Bible claims to be the sole and sufficient infallible, please note that word, infallible rule of faith for the Christian church. The scriptures are not in need of any supplement. Their authority comes from their nature as God-breathed revelation. We're going to spend some time discussing what God-breathed means. God-breathed revelation, their authority is not dependent upon man, church, or council. The scriptures are self-consistent, consistent with themselves, self-interpreting, that is, they provide the context in which they are to be interpreted for themselves, and self-authenticating, because this is God speaking, there can be no higher authority to which they can appeal. The Christian church looks to the scriptures as the only infallible and sufficient rule of faith, and the church is always subject to the word and is constantly reformed thereby. Now, each of those phrases that I included in that definition 
are very important. They have a specific meaning to them that we will be fleshing out and we'll be explaining as we go through this particular study. But I think it's important to recognize right from the start that what we're saying is that because of the nature of Scripture, because it is God speaking, that is what makes it authentic and authoritative for a believer. Think about it for just a moment. Even the scriptures raise this particular question. How can God guarantee the truthfulness of what he says? Well, how does a man do so? In various cultures, if you go into a court of law and you are sworn to tell the truth, you will take some kind of a pledge. Uh, for example, in in my culture, you might uh, raise your hand, and it used to be, you used to raise one hand and put the other hand in a Bible, and fortunately, we don't do that every place any longer, but the idea was, I am swearing by a higher authority than I possess that what I am about to say is true. Now, sad fact of the matter is, many people can take those oaths, and then they don't really care whether what they say is true or not. But obviously, the idea was that by swearing by a higher authority, I am willing to bring upon me the punishment of law and the punishment of that higher authority if I do not speak the truth. And so what we do when, when we want to say that something is true, we appeal to a higher authority than we ourselves possess. But how does that work for God and how would that work for God's revelation? We immediately have a bit of a problem, do we not? Who does God swear by? What higher authority can God appeal to than himself? And the scriptures raise this very issue. They ask, well, how can, can God swear by the gold of the temple or by the temple or by the, the heavens? All these things are lesser than he is. He created all these things. All those things exist because he gives existence to them and he brought them into existence. So, how can God prove the truthfulness of what he's saying? This brings us to the issue of what we call ultimate authorities. If your authority level is at the very top, there's nothing above you to appeal to. So, how can an ultimate authority prove itself? Many people have not considered this, and, and unfortunately, many, many people want to try to prove what the Bible says by appeals to lower authorities. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that there are all sorts of evidences that the Bible truly is the Word of God. I think when you look at fulfilled prophecy and you look at the consistency of 40 different authors over 1,500 years and the, the fulfillment of God's purposes from beginning to end, and, and all these things are clear evidences from my perspective that the Bible is the Word of God, but many other people would say, well, I, I, just, I just don't interpret it in that way. I don't see that. Are those fulfilled prophecies, is that consistency, is that a higher authority than the Bible itself that it's appealing to? No. What we're saying is that when God says, I am God and what I say is true, there has to be a point at which there is no appeal to any other higher authority there has to be a point at which we say, God has spoken, and because God has spoken, it is true. Any system of philosophy, any system of thought that mankind has ever developed 
has to eventually get to the point where you're looking at the ultimate authority. What is the ultimate authority to any worldview? Christian, any type of religious worldview, atheistic worldview, no matter what it might be, what is the ultimate authority? Now, if we admit that God cannot appeal to any higher authority than himself, then what would be the nature of his revelation? What would be the nature of that which is God speaking? We're going to spend some time in the next study looking at what it means to say that Scripture is God-breathed. But if, in fact, this revelation is God speaking, then what kind of appeal can we make to establish its ultimate authority? If God is himself speaking, then can there be some external authority that establishes this as God speaking? Is there some higher authority than God himself that we can appeal to? And so the sufficiency of Scripture forces us to take a step back and to ask the question, what is the nature of Scripture? Are these just simply the words of men where they have, they have contemplated God, where they, they went out into the wilderness for a period of time and they, they thought about God and now they've come up with these very high ideas about God? Are these simply human words and God has taken and he's breathed into them something special? Is that what these are? If the scripture is truly nothing more than human words that have been maybe elevated some, then they could make appeal to higher authorities because they are not divine in and of themselves. But the argument I'm going to be presenting to you is that the self-understanding of the scriptures is that the scriptures are God-breathed. They are God-speaking. And since they come forth from the very mouth of God, then they are self-authenticating. They carry authority within themselves and hence cannot appeal to some external source of authority that would guarantee them or that would in some way, shape, or form provide authority to them. This is an vitally, vitally important issue because we need to differentiate between the views of those who look at the Bible as, as something that has just been created by mankind. It is man's thoughts about God. Over against another view that would say if something is truly divine revelation, then it can have nothing to do with mankind. There can be nothing in God's book where, for example, the Apostle Paul says, brethren, pray for me, or where the psalmist gives vent to those deep feelings of abandonment on one hand or in other parts of the Psalter where he gives vent to those great feelings of joy and worship. People say, wait a minute, I'm seeing human experience here. I'm seeing human language. The Bible is so clear in talking about the sinfulness of certain individuals who are major characters in the story. All these things mean this can't be the Word of God because the Word of God would just be God speaking. That's the one extreme. On the other extreme, well, Scripture is just simply man's thoughts about God. And what, what has happened is that we've, we've elevated these thoughts and we've given to them authority because they're important to us. 
that kind of things. These are the two extremes. The Christian view of Scripture, the consistent Christian view of Scripture, falls between these two. And we as believers need to be careful that when we are asked to give a reason for the hope that's within us, that when we do so, we will do so accurately to the glory of God and that we will not be forced to defend even a position that is not actually ours. We need to know our faith so well that we can give a clear and God-honoring response to those who ask us why we believe what we believe. That's why we're doing this series of studies, and I encourage you to continue on and to stay with us as we look at God's Word.